Welcome to Voices of Nature. I'm Bob Ludke, an advisor to Global Conservation Corps and the creator of the Voices of Nature podcast. Voices of Nature is dedicated to sharing the voices of innovative, passionate leaders committed to saving and protecting the world's most threatened natural resources. In today's episode, we are speaking with Mariana Borelli, an actress and co-founder of Amai, an eco-beauty product line. Mariana was born in Venezuela. At the age of 15, she was accepted into the International Baccalaureate Program at United World College in Eswatini, formerly known as Swaziland, in Southern Africa to study theater. She spent the next two years in Africa living away from her family, but was able to enjoy the transformative experience that Africa brings to so many people. Upon graduation, she was accepted to East 15 Acting School at the University of Essex in London. There she received a degree in contemporary theater. Further pursuing her passion for the arts, Mariana founded her own theater company, which performed a critical acclaim around the UK for several years. In 2009, she moved to Mexico City, where she carved out a diverse body of work, including multiple leading roles in both film and television. Because of her passion for living life in a sustainable way, Mariana co-founded Amai, an eco-beauty product line that combines the medicinal powers of plants, flower essences, and herbal oils to create 100% natural, organic, sustainable, and plastic-free products. Her desire to create Amai and the importance of healthy, sustainable beauty products and protecting nature will be a topic we discuss in our conversation today. Mariana, welcome to Voices of Nature. Hi, Bob. Thank you so much. Mariana, you know, Africa is a consistent theme in this podcast. Obviously, GCC does all of its work in South Africa. Start off our conversation a bit today, talking about your background and and really what life was like moving to Africa at such a young age and going to school there. Well, I think Africa was the first place where I felt like I was getting to know who I really was. I moved there in a very, as you said, I was pretty young. I was 16, just turned 16. So, you know, life when you're a teenager is ever-changing and it's complicated and it's flowy. And also to have the opportunity to move to Swaziland, formerly named Swaziland, now it's called Eswatini, and live there in an international school, in a boarding school, surrounded by people from everywhere around the world and and to be able to study what I wanted to study. I studied international baccalaureate there, which is IB. It's kind of like globally known as IB. And yeah, it was it was a it was an eye-opening a moment in my life. I came from a very small town. Well not very small town. It's like a third city, biggest city in Venezuela, but it was a small community called Barquisimeto. And so moving from there to a school where the idea of the school was to, it was kind of like a global movement that made education a force to unite people and to unite nations and cultures for peace and for a sustainable future. It was, can you imagine, it was just absolutely beautiful and life-changing. There was definitely a, you know, a, a before and an after Swaziland or Esotini to me. Also because I was so far away from home and and moving to that little remote place up in the hill in Babane, one of the cities in in Esotini, was it gave me the opportunity to see the world with another pair of eyes. 
right? Uh, my teachers were from everywhere. I had English teachers. I had South African teachers. I had teachers from Mozambique. I had teachers from India. I had teachers. So basically, my education came from so many different worldviews, which allowed me to expand my own. And at the same time, my my the people that I would share a corridor with was one Russian girl and the next girl was from Botswana and the one next to her was from Namibia and the one next to her was from Switzerland and the one next to her was from France and then it was me and then it was someone from Costa Rica. So it almost kind of allowed the borders of the world to kind of dissolve in a place where we were united by our desire to know more, to respect other people's cultures, to grow as a humanity and not so much as, you know, people representing countries. I don't think that was the idea at all. It was more like, let's find the similarities that we have instead of the differences. And then you come to realize that there are so many more similarities amongst us than than otherwise. And you went to school there to study theater, correct? And, and that's obviously been a key, key part of your life, the main part of your life, arguably. Yeah, well, I went to study IB, International Baccalaureate, but then one of the subjects that I needed to choose, I had to choose six subjects. One of them I wasn't sure what to do with because I either had to choose an art and uh, or something like chemistry or physics in a higher level. And I wasn't going to go down that route because that would have been you know, like educational suicide almost. So I decided not to go down that. You're preaching to the choir on that, yes. <laughs> I was like, come on, I know my strengths. I That's not. And also at an IB level, it's just really high. So I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. So they recommended, they were like, well, we have two very amazing departments. We have art and then we have theater art. And I've, all, I've always been a fan of theater, but up to that point, up until that point, I wanted to do either journalism or sociology. That was the thing that I thought I was going to kind of follow up for years to come. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do theater. You know, it can't harm me. It's always useful to know how to speak and and to, to gather some confidence. And, uh, and performances always kind of was a way that I was very moved by different actors and stuff. But I never actually thought that was something that I was going to do. So I chose theater arts and then that was it. That was it. It was like a play that, you know, bit me and that was that was that. I decided to I was I felt so passionate about it. And once I finished in South Africa and in Eswatini, my IB, I took a year off just to travel the east coast of Africa and with one of my best friends from France. And the objective was not to take a plane ever. So it was quite a challenging. We started in Egypt, in Alexandria, and then went all the way down to Cape Town, literally on the East Coast. And it took us like six and a half months. And then after that, I applied for a theater school in London, one that rec was recommended by my theater arts teacher in UWC in, in Waterford. That was the name of, of my school. And I got in. So I was really surprised because my plans totally drastically changed. Swaziland changed my life in so many ways. I keep saying Swaziland because imagine I've, I've said Swaziland for so many years, but okay, it's Eswatini. Changed my life in so many ways. It basically it gave me purpose and it taught me so many things about the world that 
have served me the rest of my life and all the years that I've that after I graduated, including the whole view about the environment. I became a vegetarian when I was 16, when I was there my first year, because initially it was something to do, I'm going to do it very shortly, but it was something to do with the equality of the distribution of land. Okay, I don't think it is that fair to use so much land to raise people. It, I went, that, that happened when I was traveling around Ethiopia. And so I decided to quit eating meat and then it kind of progressed to no animals at all. And now I'm much more into a vegan diet, but that started when I was 16. So yeah, the, the changes, the influence that Africa has had on me over the years has been vast. And, and I still feel the ripples and I, and I still feel the string pulling me back there. It is quite magical. I'm sure you know, Bob. I do. I often feel that, that same string pulling me back as well. So you've had a, a very successful, wonderful career in theater and the performing arts, but you have really brought your passion to life in a very meaningful way with the creation of Amai. Can you talk a little bit about what what Amai is and what led you to, as you told me before we started this conversation, just take the plunge and create a business with a whole lot of, of planning, but a whole lot of passion. Yes. Okay. Well, Amai means mother in Shona, which is a Bantu language that the people of Zimbabwe speak. So we love the name. And then we also found out that Amai means beauty in Japanese. And also on top of that, later, which sounds a little bit unbelievable, but it's true, we realized that Amai was a perfect combination between Aislinn, which is my partner, and Mariana. So so that name kind of um, came when it had to come. The reason why we started creating Amai and why Amai was born out of nowhere, I I have to give you a little bit of context. I moved to LA in 2018. I was kind of like going back and forth, but officially I kind of moved here. I got married and I moved here. And there was a lot of things in my career that changed. I wasn't working as much because I didn't know as many people here. I mean, in Mexico City, I had such a role that I was always working, fortunately. But when I moved here, there was a massive stop. It was like a halt. And I think it was a brilliant stop. It was a necessary stop because it made me kind of realign everything in my life and see really what I was doing. And it was a good pause, you know, sometimes they say that in a creative life, you do need, well, in all sorts of lives, but you need those silences to be able to see where you're at and how happy you feel and where emotionally you are at. And so that that kind of pause happened. And one day I remember I was showering and I had this aha moment that they, they call. I, I have a lot of hair. I mean, have you seen already? Like I have very long, bushy, mane-like hair. And I was always obsessed with products for my hair. And I would try a conditioner cream and then I would put it on and then be like, oh no, it didn't work. I, I don't like how my hair looks. And then I would just leave it there in the shower and then I'll buy something else. And that would be kind of like a thing that I would do. And one day I was showering and I looked down and as I looked down on my shower, I realized that I was surrounded by bottles, plastic bottles. And by this time I wouldn't buy, you know, uh, water bottles. I wouldn't, you know, I, I would consider myself somebody who was actually 
you know, uh, careful when it came to plastic consumption. And somehow I never thought about that in the shower. And then I realized that I was surrounded by this circle of bottles that I knew were going to take about 400 years to decompose or to degrade to. And I was like, this, this is not okay. What am I doing? So I decided that I was going to use all this product, whether I liked it or not. And I had to, you know, suck it up. So I used all the product. I looked and some of the bottles were non-recyclable and some of them were, although like that's a whole new conversation recycling because it's not as easy and it's not as common as people think. So the best solution, it's just not buy it at all. And I went to a friend of mine and I was like, listen, and my friend was in the middle of postpartum. She just had a baby who was three months old. She was going through loads of emotions at that point. She was feeling quite lonely and her and I just became friends. She was living here in LA and I was kind of like, I wanted to accompany her in her process. She was a great friend of mine. She still is, but now she's a partner. And I said to her, like, I just don't know what to do this. This I want to think of a solution for this. And then, so we went, she came with me and we went to one of those very well-known stores that they sell shampoo bars and conditioner bars. And we bought a whole lot of those and tried them on. And really, it was very sad, but none of them worked on us. And so we decided, why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? And initially it was more about doing something that we could use so we wouldn't consume that much that much plastic and we wouldn't kind of like hench the environment in that way. And she was very passionate about creams and, you know, and, and having the best hair. And she was very much into the beauty side of it. And I was very much into the sustainable part of it. So we started looking for people who can actually make this because we thought that the best idea was to find people who were already doing it. And then we can join in with formulas and, you know, kind of like the part of our creative process, joining whatever their know-how. And so that's how I was born. It was born out of a necessity. Initially, it was never meant to be a company to make money and to sell globally, but it was much more about creating products that we loved and maybe sell our friends or share with our friends. You know, it was meant to be that. But one thing led to the next. And here we are, three and a half years later, still doing it and making a making a what I believe is a is a big difference. Not us, but people who believe in this and people who support this kind of products. Well, take us into how you make your products. I mean, you have a a really wide range of beauty products, you know, shampoos and, and creams and lotions. So does Amai make this? Do you work with other production facilities to make this? Take us behind the scenes a little bit in, into Amai. Okay. So we partnered with a group of women who were already making beauty products at a very small scale in Mexico, outside Mexico City in a place called Querétaro. We started with them. We we kind of like went with several people who were already making shampoos and conditioners. And initially it was only shampoo, conditioners and body soaps. And we chose this group of women because we believed that what they were doing was remarkable. It was very small what they were doing. It was very, it was almost like an in-house little company. And so we, we talked to them and we said, okay, we would like your know-how and we would like to add, 
you know, the benefits of certain herbs or we would like to add certain butters and we would like it to be organic and we would like it to be unrefined. And we also want to not use any plastic. So we would like to wrap our bars with some sort of paper that wouldn't create any garbage. Then later on, we found this brand that does compostable rice paper. And that's the material that we actually wrapped our bars with. So we created the shape, all our bars are in the shape of a triangle, which is one of our trademarks. And yeah, so we started developing our formulas with this group of women who were already working on theirs and who had sort of like a group of scientists that work on their formulas and approve and improve the product, always making sure that with us, that the processes and the ingredients compile the guidelines of what we wanted to be AMI. So we kind of looked at this, you know, who were the suppliers and where are all the ingredients coming from. The majority of our ingredients are come from Mexico. But for instance, we have a lot of shea butter is used in our bars. And our shea butter actually comes from Africa, comes from Ghana. And it's a whole thing because it, it plays a, a really important role in, in local economies in West Africa. The, you know, the use of shea butter. But we wanted to make sure that the people that we were getting it from were part of the Global Shea Alliance that promotes equality and, and ethics in the industry of shea butter. And so the majority, we're very careful that all the ingredients that we get, if they do not from Mexico and they're not, that we don't have anything locally that we can actually get it from, that they are, you know, fair trade and that they are sustainably acquired from whichever. For instance, we have the lavender oil comes from France because their practices are the cleanest. But then the coconut oil, which is one of our biggest ingredients, and we used it in we use it in so many bars, comes from Colima in Mexico. It's 100% organic and it's an extra virgin coconut oil, and the cocoa butter. Also, it's organic, comes from Veracruz, Mexico. So we are very much um, in favor of getting everything locally as much as we can. And if not, that the ingredients that we get, we get them under the understanding that they have to be fair trade and they have to be sustainably acquired and they have to be, yeah, they have to go with the DNA of our brand, which is people, profit, planet. Right, the 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 three Ps yep. that I'm sure you guys yep. have we know you know, well. talk about so much here. Yeah, you know really well. So, so yeah, so that's how Amai's made. It's now because I mean we've been growing, and now we have a bigger workshop in Querétaro, and so so more of Amai can be made. However, we are very much interested in keeping each of our bars handmade. Each one of them is handmade. They're making a very artisanal manner. The quality is extremely high. Uh, the products that we use are extremely high quality and they're handly wrapped, each one of them, in a sort of like origami way. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to see our bars wrapped. I probably can send you pictures so you can you can show. Um, but they're wrapped in rice paper, which is 100% compostable. And all the ink that you see in our wrappers are made out of minerals and vegetable ink which is 100% compostable. I mean, it's even edible. I don't recommend anybody eating the rice paper, <laughs> but you could and you you will be fine. 
And yeah, the idea is that we wanted you to use your bar, use your shampoo, use your conditioner and actually finish your bar and have nothing to throw away. You know, you have the rice paper that you can actually rip into pieces and put it in your compost. And if you don't put it in your compost, it will disintegrate within a week or two. So we wanted something like that. We wanted we wanted something different to my experience in the shower. We just didn't want to have to have that footprint, you know, we didn't want to have to have that that tail because because if you think about the industry that we were walking into, very much naive, honestly, Bob. Like I knew very little. I only knew I wanted something different. That was the main thing. I wanted a product that didn't give me bad conscience. I wanted to use something that worked because that was another really important thing for us. We wanted it to work because we knew that there were bars out there that were, you know, sustainable perhaps, but it didn't work. Your hair didn't do what they said that it would do. So we didn't want to trick people. We wanted it to work. We wanted it to to feel like you were getting something, not only you were doing something for you and for your hair and for your skin, while you were actually uh, saving the planet a lot of, you know, a lot of waste. Because if you think about the industry that we walked into, over 552 million shampoo bottles end up in our landfills yearly. 552 billion, million shampoo bottles. I mean, that's kind of, for you to have like an idea that's more or less a um, thousand and a thousand and a hundred football football fields, you know, full of shampoo bottles a year. But those are only the ones that wind up in the landfills. That doesn't even touch upon all those that are literally and figuratively floating they around don't. this planet, namely in oceans and waterways. And so you've only touched on a small fraction of our problem with plastics. <laughs> exactly. That's only the ones in landfills, like you said. Not even talking about the ones in the ones that get burned, all the ones that are floating in the oceans, which are so many. It was very sad. I went to Indonesia last year, and we went to this sort of virgin place, like little island in the middle of nowhere, and uh, it was covered in plastic, and it was just washed by the ocean. And the majority of things that we found were beauty products. Loads of flip-flops and the majority, I would say 80% of the bottles that we found were beauty related, you know, call it shampoo or a hand soap or, you know, liquid soap or loads of, loads of shampoo bottles or those mini traveling shampoo or conditioners or creams or sunscreens. So it was devastating to actually see it. Our oceans are like so full of garbage right now. And because of the current, they only end up in certain places, but there's so much waste. Yeah, here's a a statistic. So we had this conversation on one of the earlier episodes. We had Lindsay Gordon from Parlay for the Oceans on. There's over 150 million metric tons of plastic in the oceans, just in the oceans, floating in the oceans. I mean, that's... You know, and to your no, point you made earlier, like these are these are pieces of plastic designed not to degrade. And if they do degrade, yeah. they will not degrade for hundreds and hundreds of years. So this problem is not going away. Yeah, it's not going away. And this is the whole beauty of plastic. The reason why plastic became so popular was because it was so resistant, right? And now it's playing such an um, 
and kind of like an evil uh, role right now because then we're using it, I feel, in a, an absolutely wrong way. We're using it to get rid of it, to use it one, and you know, we, we, we're using it once and then getting rid of it instead of actually using it for what it was meant to be used, which was for, to have something durable and something that lasted years and years, but not for shampoo bottle that after you used it, you you can get rid of it and, and throw it away. Because if you think about every single bottle that you throw away, which is, I think that that word throw away or get rid of should not be used for garbage. I think you replace it, you put it somewhere else, but it's not, you're not getting rid of. Maybe you're, you're getting rid of your house, you know, you're getting, you're getting it out of your house, but the garbage is still going to be there right? and it's still going to be in your bigger house, which is your planet. So, you know, I think we need to, the wording needs to be different for people to really visualize what, what it is like to actually throw things away. You're not really throwing anything away. You're just putting it further away. You're not really getting rid of anything. And if you think that every bottle takes about 450. 450 years to decompose or to disintegrate. Imagine we're really behind. We're still seeing the plastic that was created in 1950s. And the scariest part of it is that of all the plastic that's been created since the 1950s to today, which is like over 8.3 billion metric tons of plastic have been produced, which is a number that I cannot even imagine, half of it has been produced in the last 15 years. So say the plastic's been going on for like 70 years and half of it has been created in the past 15 about, which like you said, it's not going anywhere. This problem is not getting, it's not getting smaller. It's actually getting bigger and scarier. So yeah, that's why we believe in Amai we've, every time that somebody buys an Amai triangle, we kind of like have done the maths and it works as if you buy two bottles of shampoo. and. So we, up until now, have saved, or no, we, everybody who has actually bought Amai and have saved, have helped saved 60,000 bottles of plastic that could have gone, could have ended up in landfills or ocean or, you know, somewhere in this planet. Let's continue on this part of the conversation because we're starting to touch on a theme that has come up in a number of the episodes, which is... On one hand, the problems that we are facing with nature are enormous and they're daunting. And in a way, they can just be overwhelming. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of millions of tons of plastic scattered throughout the world. I mean, you, you, you just, you wonder, like, how do we, how do we get out of this? How do we stop this problem? Yeah. So what are some, some of your thoughts or some ways that people li- listening to this podcast in their, in their own way without, you know, not necessarily being a scientist or, starting their own business can can help maybe redirect the way in which we live and how we treat nature as a resource to us in our everyday lives. Look, I really feel that we are much more powerful than we think, that we've been taught that we are. I feel that as consumers, we have the say, you know, if we don't buy, they have to change. That is the ultimate reality of it. Because big big companies want to sell, that's the objective. And if their sales drop, they they will start finding new ways to do things in order for their sales to improve. So that gives us the power to really decide on their policies in a very sort of like hidden way. But we have a lot of power 
every time we go to the supermarket, every time that we go out and decide to buy a product, we are making a big choice, right? We're making a big choice on whether we want to support this company or not. And I do think that small changes are huge. I don't think actually that there exists. I, I wouldn't think of any change as small because I feel that the micro grows into a macro and, and changes the big picture. But you need to really start at home and start home with whatever you know action you feel inspired to do or to take, whether it's to use less plastic beauty products or whether it is to separate your garbage and, and have a compost outside your garden or whether it is, you know, to to research every time you're going to buy clothes and see where these clothes coming from and what kind of material they're using and, you know, or buying, you know, secondhand clothes, which is what I've done in the past 10 years. And, and it's absolutely incredible because, you know, like it doesn't matter what kind of change you do. As long as you are being part of the solution, I think it's something that we can incorporate in our lives. It's not as hard as it feels initially. I know this this whole conversation, like you said, can be extremely overwhelming and um, a little bit daunting and scary and also gives you like the feeling of, I can do anything. I, there is nothing I can do. This is all too big. But the reality of it, I believe, is like we have a massive say in the way we go around our lives, I I feel that a good product is no longer enough to win a consumer's a consumer's favor. You know, I feel that shoppers want more than just quality. They look for the you know for the company's values, and if the company's values align to their personal values, then that's something that they will they will support. Uh, there was a survey in twenty nineteen, I think I read recently. And they found out that internet users worldwide had ditched products or services from a brand that violated their own personal values. And the top priority in that regard was the environment. So I do think that those choices that we make or those companies that we ditch because we don't agree with their values or we don't support their practices, those are changes that are huge. They're enormous. There is no small change. I just think that there is change and there is no change. And if you're changing, no matter how small it is, it will be like a little snowball. And then once you once you do the compost, you're going to be like, oh, maybe I can actually grow my own vegetables. Let's see. Maybe I can just grow lettuce. Let's see how it goes. And maybe I can just, you know, I'm not going to buy, I need a winter jacket, but I only use it four times a year. I'm going to actually buy, you know, a secondhand one. And, and that way I feel like, it's an inevitable, once you know, you know, right? I think there's this say, like, once you've seen, there is no way that you cannot see. So I feel that that's what's important, to really understand that we have the final say. And the reason why some companies are at the top and they're polluting the way they're polluting is because at some point, we gave them that power. But the same, the same, the same force that we have when we gave them that power now we have it to to give it to somebody else who is doing better practices or you know you know having much more respect not only environmentally but socially because it's all together we are not that so that idea that we're separate from nature is a myth that i feel is becoming more and more evident we are together with nature we're part of it not superior or different to it that 
well said, very well said, and and very inspirational. So thank you for that. Now I'd like to draw maybe upon your, your should we say, your artistic, your theater talents. I'd like you to tell it, like, building on that inspiration, just take us into that, you know, that one special moment in your life when you think about nature and you close your eyes, that's the moment you see. It's like, you know, there has to be something that is driving you to sacrifice so much to try and change how we produce and consume goods. Like, just what's that one special moment in nature that you always think back to? You know, I... I went to the Sequoia National Park. I love forests. I think that's that's the the area in nature that I enjoy the most. And to be able to hear birds, to be able to listen to animals, to biodiversity, because so, so many times we're in the middle of nature and we're not able to actually see the biodiversity, the biodiversity that lives there, but we often hear the, hear it, and uh, and it makes me profoundly sad when I'm not able to hear birds or animals or insects or anything. That was one of the things that about um, Eswatini kind of stroke and marked me. We went to this incredible little reserve and the sounds at night, Bob, were like an orchestra, frogs, toads, insects of all kind. And and I love that, the, the sounds of nature that I feel that we're losing more and more. So answering to your question because I totally didn't answer your question I'm so sorry going back to that I when I close my eyes I think of a forest and I hear owls and I hear animals and uh, you know I try to hear how they communicate I always try to I always try to imagine what they're what they're saying to each other you know how when how a bird chirps and then the other one kind of like replies in such a perfect way that you're like they're definitely communicating some really important stuff and yeah, so that's the place where I go. I go to a forest full of trees, full of noises. And yeah, that smell of petrichor, you know, the right before it rains. That's, that's where I go to. And now for our last question, why are you hopeful that future generations of people all over the world will be able to experience that forest, experience those sounds like you have? Because I think we are incredible. The amount of remarkable stuff that we've created as humans are mind-blowing. So I do believe we do have the capability to, to remember who we really are, you know, to remember who, where we come from and remember that we belong to this planet as a whole, not as a, I mean, we're not superior. This is not our hotel. This is a home, not only to us, but to so many other and creatures. And I have a lot of faith in humanity. I do know that there's so many people trying to be part of the solution. And there's so many people who are inspiring to me. And thank you for the, this podcast, because I've been able to get to know more people that are constantly doing huge efforts to move towards a much more harmonized way of living. and. I am hopeful. I am hopeful not only for us, but I'm also hopeful because I do believe that if we do make those changes now, the next generation, my daughter that sees me do the things I do and in her shower, there are no bottles, you know, in her shower, she only has a mind. And I do believe that 
there is a way in which for them will be much more second nature. Like we were talking earlier, she wouldn't have to change everything from the root, but she will, it will be there for her already. So it will become so much more natural to look after, you know, nature and to shop responsibly and to eat responsibly and to, to live also always keeping in mind that this is not only your home, but the home to so many people and so many creatures and, and respecting, you know, and acting, acting accordingly. I have a lot of hope. I, I know I'm, sometimes I don't feel it. Sometimes I feel a little down about it, but I know that we're not alone. And there's so many people actually doing incredible stuff to go back to the beginning, or if not go back to the beginning to, to remember who we are. I think along the way, we kind of forgot. And now there's too much noise and too much, you know, fluorescent lights. And we've kind of forgotten that life and that sense of, you know, tranquility and peace and, and satisfaction are much more easier to obtain if we're closer to nature than if we are really far away. Thank you for, well, thank you for giving me that sense of hope. And, and not just in your words, but in, in what you're doing and, and just the, the entrepreneurial spirit and the courage that you've displayed in creating a mind. So that's a, it's a precious gift you're giving not only to me, but everyone listening to this podcast. So thank you. Thank you. I just want to say one more thing. It can be very scary to think of creating something from scratch, right? I would recommend anybody listening to this podcast who is thinking about doing something themselves don't worry about not knowing everything because there is no way that you're going to know everything before you start. I started this company with my partner knowing very little, almost nothing, but just with a huge desire to do it. And, you know, trust the instincts and follow the dream of creating something better. And the knowledge will come, will come and will follow and you'll get it and you'll, you'll, you'll somehow surround yourself with people that you need to flourish. But don't let the fear of not knowing enough stop you from your dreams or from creating something that will be better, not only for you, but for everybody else who shares this planet. Those are wonderful words to, to end this conversation with, Mariana. Those are words I think all of us should and could take to heart. So thank you. And again, thank you for, for all the work that you're doing. It is, it is much appreciated. And I'm sure something that, to be honest, will transcend time and transcend geography. Thank you so much, Bob. I really, really appreciate the space and, and your kindness and yeah, what you do as well. well thank you. Well, well, well. <laughs>